0: And thank you for joining us today for episode one of Music, Life, and Times, an ongoing discussion between two musicians, internationally acclaimed jazz pianist Kevin Bales and singer-pianist and a good friend of mine, Mike Shaw. And just to assure you that this podcast promises to be unique, engaging, and intriguing, the discussion today will center around the premise that jazz is an expression of democracy, But first, let's invite these two very gentlemen to say hi to everybody and tell us a little bit about themselves. Kevin, you want to start? Well, I've
1: been playing music for a living for my entire life, raised two kids doing it. Jazz has been a very important part of saving my life in many ways. It's such a powerful force. And what's interesting to me, why we're here talking about it today, for many reasons, is just, you know, when you travel outside of America, they recognize a certain... Um, value in the music that's not often seen at home. I'm not saying it's not recognized here, but when you go to other places, they that's why they come to hear jazz. Huh.
0: And, and I know you've played around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Edinburgh, Moscow, London, I mean... Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is Atlanta your hometown? Yeah,
1: born and raised here. There's not okay. a lot of us. So Anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to do is give an idea to the uh, listeners and viewers that You've been around the block, and to some acclaim. Um, I understand that you came to jazz a little late at 17. More like 20. Oh, really? I was
1: 17 to 20. I was in Atlanta. The music scene here is very special. And during those years, I fell in love with jazz because of the community here in Atlanta. The jam sessions in Atlanta were populated by some of the very best musicians in the world showing up just because they wanted to play jazz you know, they weren't being paid really, you know, it's, and so here's a little 17-year-old Kevin who wanders into this thing, and uh, these guys are amazing, and they embraced me right away with no cultural boundaries. You know, some of them were in their 80s, some of them were from the other side, the, from the real Atlanta, you know, Southwest Atlanta. Um, they just embraced me completely Even though I could barely play, it was something very warm about it. The time I was studying classical music at Georgia State University, because my mom didn't want me to skip college, so I, you know, I, uh, I humored her there. And during those years, I I discovered jazz, and uh, it's it's an amazing thing.
0: Hmm. We're going to get in more in this podcast and in subsequent ones about your background, which is so extensive, and I know you teach now at Georgia State, right? Yeah, that's
1: my side hustle, I call it.
0: (laughs) But we're gonna have to get to uh, jazz and expression of democracy, and we gotta get to Mike. So, Mike Shaw, I've known you for a lot of years, and um, I think you were coming out of New Orleans when I first met you, Uh, so give us some of your background.
2: Well, I I played music for my uh, full-time living Sold my sports car, bought my mom's Impala, because because that could carry the amplifier and the guitar, and 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 sort of hit the road. And I played until I was in my early forties, um, for my living, and uh, then I, and I was in New Orleans about the last five or six years of that, and opened up a marketing agency. That's where you and I worked together at that agency for a long time. Um, but, uh, but 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 continued to play. I actually study with Kevin. Kevin is is not only an acclaimed performer, but he's an acclaimed teacher. He's very well known as a teacher of jazz. In fact, I have to tell a quick little story about Kevin when he was in college. Uh, in was it it your sophomore year or junior year or whatever when they came to Kevin and they said we we know you're studying music here but we'd like you to head up the Uh, jazz department. No they didn't ask me to head up the jazz. I was a
1: senior it was my senior year and uh, I I always embellish the the story. That's that's fine but yeah I did I did teach one year as a student and then a full-time load. I owe them all what do you call it?
0: Kudos.
1: No, no, no. Um, when you get back to my refunds,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: you're not getting one though.
0: <laughs> Let me. Uh, so, inter- at any it. rate,
2: I, I to sort of complete that story. I still perform from time to time. I have the uh, opportunity and the great joy to work with some fabulous jazz musicians here in Atlanta. A saxophone player by the name of Matt Miller, and uh, bass player. Sometimes it's Kevin Smith, and sometimes. Uh, it's Neil Starkey, who are two of considered two of the finest jazz bassists in uh, no, that's in for Atlanta, sure. Nearly anywhere. They're really great. Yeah, anywhere. yeah. and anywhere, uh, and at any rate. So we perform from time to time, and then a lot of my writing. One major project of my writing that I've done over the years is I wrote a novel called The Musician, and was based on those years of my life traveling around, and the general theme of that being how difficult it is that the, the the uh, the challenges of making a living as an artist in the profession of music.
0: Yeah, I can um, attest that is a really spectacular book because if you haven't done it for a living, the insights that you provide in that book, and it would be a great warning <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> to, to parents whose children, yeah, yeah. Who,
2: who they might want to give piano lessons to their kid Just say funny. take the lessons learn how to play but don't try to make a living in it. although kevin has and see, done and quite and I well i have the
1: opposite point of view about right. that I, I think being a musician is one of the greatest jobs you can get you're never out of work except for a pandemic oh, yeah, yes. yeah you know, uh, it's it's just being an entrepreneur you're self-employed and but the, the difference here is that the jazz community that i've gotten to know uh they don't view it as a vocation or a career it's a lifestyle. It's a thing that you live through, and you make money doing it, and it pays very well. This starving artist thing we're talking about—fifteen-year-olds who like know three chords on their guitar and wrote ten songs yeah. like their high school idol—that's yeah. very hard to do. And I think it's a, it's
2: different <laughs> in in your lifetime than it was when I started out in the '60s. Uh, first of all, there were very few places around the country where you could go learn how to play music from a performance perspective. Mm-hmm. There's lots of schools like that now. There was so everybody that I knew coming out, we learned how to play playing, and you learn a you know a new chord from the other better guitarist on the other side. Or well, you that's know, the kind of the
1: democracy of it that you know, you know. It, I thought of something, as we were talking about my role as an educator, that I never thought about before. You know, one of the reasons they were willing to hire me was because of the same community of people that embraced me as a player. I've been in academia a long time, and every university I've worked with, they always have these programs where they're trying to get older faculty to mentor young faculty, which is good, but the fact that they have to have the programs, which is like any other government program, like it's mostly meetings. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know what i mean
2: yeah so but
1: but in the jazz school that i was at there were nine full-time jazz faculty and uh they all mentored me on how to teach from the very first moment and it was just very much like what happens in jazz it's a democratic thing you know it takes a village to raise a child all that kind of stuff but it's really embodied in what you do with jazz because because of the democratic part of it there's no one person telling everyone else what to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well let's keep going with yeah. now we're into our topic a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you here. know
1: and it's and it's
2: interesting that when we first talked about doing this it was Kevin had this great idea to, to jazz as, as an expression of democracy and one it's of It's not the, my idea. Well, I know and I'm going Gerald there early, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also going there. I mean there mm-hmm. are uh uh When I was reading about this the, it that uh, Winton Marcellus has done a, a, a bunch of programs uh, at Lincoln Center uh, on this and has a program for kids where he teaches uh, kids to third graders and fourth graders and fifth graders these uh, it based on that same thing and his his bottom concept is uh, he builds it around integrity, and he says um what was this? He said, jazz
0: teaches you uh, three things. Can I interject here that, Kevin, you have performed with Wynton Marsalis mm-hmm. and, and are friends.
1: Don't remember me. I wouldn't say we're friends, but he, he knows who I am. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're not yes. enemies. I'm not in his inner circle, but I have a bunch of friends who are. And he's one of the reasons I play music. I mean, he's very inspirational.
2: Oh. But he, in his program, uh, he mentioned that, that there are, three concepts that that jazz teaches you. He said that that things happen in life uh, and and to work together with other people and that you have a unique identity. Now, we came up with three concepts about what the lessons music teaches you, right? And they were, those three concepts were cooperation,
1: self-reliance, and discipline. Uh, there's a great book by, the, by, you know, jazz writer, Nat Hentoff called Jazz Is, and it's a whole thing talking about how you can't really say what it is. Like Louis Armstrong says, if I have to tell you what it is, you won't know, you won't understand. You know, it's all easy catchphrases, but defining jazz specifically is a very difficult thing because mm-hmm. it's built into, like, the democracy of it in, in the first place. It's whatever those people together want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, jazz is a dirty word. I mean, literally is comes comes from a bad place. Uh, Duke Ellington didn't want to use it, you know. But trying to describe it is very hard. But I like mm-hmm. these three things because, I mean, it, they are there. Yeah, uh, you know, another
2: thing about this jazz and democracy. We, you and I had talked about how their uh, jazz is not allowed in authoritarian some authoritarian countries that they look down on because they understand it that that freedom element that is part of jazz that you know the improvisation which is sort of that key element of jazz is represents freedom i mean that's the 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 I've been, had the opportunity to do some speaking to some book clubs uh, uh, who are reading my book, The Musician. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a good book. Available on Amazon. <laughs> yes. uh,
2: at any rate, uh, one of the things, when I, when I do, I play some tunes to kind of, uh, to uh, demonstrate the progression of my protagonist, he starts out as a folk singer, gets goes through the singer songwriter era, you know, Billy Joel, Elton John, that kind of stuff, and then he graduates into jazz, becomes a uh, uh, learns jazz, and I play a little bit of each format to 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 the, my audience, to to the book club audience to demonstrate that and that turns into a discussion about music not so much about the book but about music and um, and that that concept of improvisation being sort of the definitive element of
1: jazz yeah I, I was shocked the first time I went to Russia I didn't know this that during the Soviet Union time jazz was illegal I didn't know this the jazz musicians there were now able to come out in the open would talk to us about it. it was just eye-opening um i need to find this i've got photographs of these billboards on red square that say um in russian of course if you play jazz if you let the people play jazz they will revolt <laughs> or if you play saxophone you're a degenerate these types of things
2: so does does that, is that uh, also in other uh, autocratic type of societies is it Carry. It started in was Nazi ca-
0: Germany. And, that, and when jazz was not an embryonic, but, you know, and, and somehow the Gestapo and the SS decided no. Yeah. And then the, it's carried on from there. But I, I don't understand. I've never understood why. And I lived in the Soviet Union and know that it was banned there. And I couldn't. I, I would ask people, why is it banned? And they didn't know enough about jazz. Although so there were a lot of records, underground records that people were listening to and stuff. Why do you think they did it?
1: Well, it, jazz focuses on the value of the individual, not the collective.
0: And you think that is that's translated a, <laughs> to audiences that, you know.
1: I mean, that's what that clearly? people will, they won't say it that way, but they will describe jazz as freedom.
2: Mm-hmm. As democracy.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a funny time going right, on right now because we had we had gone. I mean, jazz is really everywhere. It's that's been amazing to me. There's a jazz audience everywhere. I mean, there's a there's a jazz club. This is not a not really another country. It's Canada, but in the center part, like the oil country part of it, up in Edmonton, that has been there for sixty years, run by volunteers, and it's a pretty pretty big hall to get there. Like, it's the ice truckers on one side, <laughs> and then I guess all moose the other side. I'm sorry, <laughs> Canadians. you know. But, you know, what's happened just recently, I, like, I never thought I would play China. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I played there a couple of times, you know, Shanghai. And um, Jazz at Lincoln Center and Winter Marcellus, they have a, had, that's why I'm bringing this up, they had a jazz club in Shanghai called, it's Dizzy's. it's modeled off the club uh, in New York. Um, they closed it. They did, yeah. Not because of money, because of mm. well, maybe I shouldn't speak for them, but my understanding is, is the cultural influences were becoming a problem. Like they weren't allowed, they weren't going to be allowed to do it.
0: What was the response of the audiences as as you played on, as you got into the well into like a half hour per, performance? Uh, now, did you see a, them slowly? I mean, get into it. Or maybe all audiences do that, or. Did you see some wacky look in their eyes or something, or specifically
1: in China? Yeah, it was very odd. It was like playing for a classical audience, like they don't know to clap, uh-huh. or they're not allowed to clap, and they they look stoic to a you know a Caucasian <laughs> dumb white American, you know. <laughs> um, they, but when we finished, I, I, this is this is true. When we we played like the first three songs, I guess they thought we were playing a symphony. Cause they didn't clap between them yep. it's a, a a huge concert hall in shanghai uh glass and wood everywhere and for some reason after the third song it wasn't especially better than the others they were all really good they just erupted into applause <laughs> and then we'd like play another two songs no clapping but it wasn't like you you didn't feel like they were clapping like, oh, this song was so great. It was just like the appropriate time. And we, we, we came to feel like they loved every moment of it. Uh-huh. You know, um, it, it, it was, the whole thing was unusual. Like, we had to, like, in order to play there, we had to send a list of all our songs and all the lyrics. To to And they censored some of them, uh-huh. but we couldn't predict, we, we couldn't figure out why. The ones they censored... Like we didn't go over there singing songs about him and Square or something. <laughs> or even overtly about, you know, democracy. We just right. Uh-huh. So the songs that they censored, we could we couldn't figure out why would they censor that one. Was this with Renee Marie? Yeah, with Renee Marie, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it it's I think it was more like they, they had to censor something to uh-huh. you mm-hmm. know. You know, the idea of playing jazz in China was was quite unusual. It was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Sadly, I don't think we're going to be going back there soon or to Russia, you know. Well, I don't think we'll be going to Russia for
2: any reason for a real long time.
0: On the other hand, you know, the countries that have broken away, and specifically, uh, you know, I dealt with Georgia. Mm -hmm. And Georgia, when they got their freedom, I went back. I was lucky enough to be there Soviet Times and then later when they were a republic, and the music was the biggest difference and it sounds exactly like what you're talking about that um, and, and jazz underground jazz was huge there, and then that was out in the open, of course I didn't have the brains to take advantage of it or anything. But what an experience you guys have had to particularly you in these in these well, Mike countries. too I mean he,
1: he, he was in New Orleans. Playing oh, well, literally yeah. almost the birthplace of jazz, right? Yeah. Well, they, they believe it. It's the birthplace. So of this jazz. Charleston. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, Charleston. <laughs> oh boy. But let's, let's, let's New rec- Orleans. <laughs> I'm offended. Let's recognize what it is. It's slave ports. You yeah. know, that's where the music's coming yeah. from, and um, it's it's a even that music coming out of that is it was a music of protest in so many ways. Mm-hmm. When did Marcellus tells this great story about him and his brother uh, when they were teenagers finding out that the Marcellus plantation was maybe 30 miles away, and they, they went there to throw rocks at it. Hmm. I don't yeah. mind saying this because it's been on television. You know, it's yeah, not a private sure. story. But, you know, that's the role of this music is, has power in things. All music does, you know. But it's, it, this, this freedom of it, it's, it's a radical concept, that when it started, whenever that was, tw- in the twenties, mm-hmm. teens, um, it was shocking to the rest of the world. The idea that a group of musicians could create fine art out of cooperation without there being one composer to dictate what the notes are going to be, was was a shocking, like almost yeah. like a magic trick. Yeah, yeah, and and
2: you bring up New Orleans. Of course, jazz is everywhere in New Orleans, or it was. You know, I haven't been. Performing in New Orleans since the 80s, early 80s, but even at that juncture, it wasn't a difference. Or, are you going to go listen to jazz or listen to something else? Well, first of all, New Orleanians love their music. Always have. It's always been uh, their nature, and uh, and they love to go to. They they have their favorite bands. They have their favorite clubs, whatever. And uh, most clubs in New Orleans are packed. Ever were packed. Every night, and the difference in the music was: um, Are you playing contemporary jazz? Or are you playing Dixieland jazz? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and so, it, so the, it, there was. You know, we. I had a uh, uh, five guy, five people that played with me. We had a six piece jazz funk band, and we were the house band at a place called the Absinthe Bar on Bourbon Street. I uh, went back a few years later after we after I left, and the absinthe bar was then a daiquiri factory.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
2: Bourbon Street has sort of waned in its popularity over the years, and the, most of the music, Bourbon Street
1: where the tourists go now.
2: Yeah, right. Most of the music is over in Faubourg Marini and that that area. But but I mean, it's still uh, you know from from club to club, it's jazz. It's just different, a little different flavor here and there, but um, still uh, still the music, the music city.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that what Kevin says that young people can make a living out of this. if they are what do we again, they have to have self-reliance, they got to be determined. Well,
2: that's what they're going to learn. I think that's our point is that by playing music, these are the life lessons. And what are they get you learn? Self-reliance is one of them. Cooperation. Cooperation. Right? You have to play with all the people around you. And discipline. You have to be disciplined to learn how to play music. Right? It's a well, lot of
1: work. It's a lot of work. But it's also a lot of work to be a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one's talking about, like, oh, don't go into surgery. It's too <laughs> hard to make a living doing it. <laughs> I, I read somewhere, like, a, like, like a, a huge percentage of people who graduate from every Law School uh, never practice law. It's too hard. You know, jazz requires to give all of yourself to it and play. I mean, that doesn't mean you can't, like, play it on the side and have fun and have it be a part of your life. But, you know, making a living as a musician, jazz or whatever, it it requires the whole thing. You're you're self-employed, but you're also responsible for everything. Like I tell my students at the university, like, if you, you become a dentist and graduate, if you just go down the street and open a dentist shop and just sit there, you're like, where are my patients? <laughs> or when the patients come in, uh, you don't know how to talk to them, and you're rude to them, and you don't know how to explain the procedures. I, I mean, you're, you're just not going to make a living like that. But for some reason, it's okay for people to say, like, you know, my my uh, my my niece, you know, she's been trying to do music now for 25 years. I mean, for five years, and no one will sign her. But that's not the same thing. Yeah, it's just not the same right. thing with being a musician. I, I, I think. I think.
2: Part of the distinction is that, okay, as, as a surgeon or as a dentist or as a businessman, you know, the difference in my life, when I moved to Atlanta and opened up a marketing agency, I had an office to go to every day. We had clients, and you, can, you, you work for those clients, and then they, you get more work for those clients. Whereas as a musician, you're kind of on your, you're on your own, and you might have, you might have Three gigs this week, and then there might be nothing next week. And it's, it's more of a sort of a uh, piecemeal. It's not structured. It's not as structured as other types of uh, careers.
1: You know, you know, I downsized recently. You know, my house from yeah, e- right. recently, five years ago. So I'm old enough that I can say five years is recent. You know, um, I found all my old date books from all the gigs back to 1992. Mike, I was gigging five, six, seven nights yeah. a week, sometimes twice a night. And I wasn't any good. <laughs> you know, I, I really wasn't. Well, I mean, and you were uh, always good. <laughs> when my, when, you know, when, when my, my girlfriend got pregnant, we we're going to have, have a child. I was like, well, this is it. <laughs> all right. I'm going to keep doing gigs until we run out of money and then I'm going to go get a real job. Mm-hmm. Right. And it never happened. Yeah. Literally, even during the pandemic it was scary for all of us. You know, during the great depression, musicians worked more than anyone. So we always have this resiliency, like there's always gonna be work. Everyone wants music, you know. I guess it would, I'm gonna say this because it's funny. It'd be like being a sex worker. You're always gonna have clients, you, you, you know, or, running a, or running, a, running, a, running a food truck, someone's gotta eat, you know. But um, the, the thing is, like it, it never ran out and the pandemic was the big shocker because suddenly everyone lost all their gigs. I lost two years of work in, in one week. Like, a phone just, third week of March, 2020, is all the way. So, that's the first time I've ever seen mm-hmm. a challenge to the ability to make yeah. a living as a musician. Now, it's hard to make a living as a musician if you don't take the time to learn how to actually play. I mean, I still take lessons. Yes. I've been doing this 35 years, I'm still studying it. Mm-hmm. Who do you study with? I take lessons from whoever. When, you know, I was on tour oh, with Renee. Yeah. If we were in one city for three days, I find out, you know, who was the best teacher there? I don't know. Yeah, I you, take a from them.
2: You get a new perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Huh. Well, fellas, uh, I think we're at our time limit. Uh, what we wanted to keep this at, this has been, I mean, so enlightening. And <laughs> I'm glad we departed from the bogus script I'd come up with. I was going <laughs> to actually script uh, about jazz. Uh, how, what are we going to do for the next next one? We're going to talk
2: about uh, a a, uh, topic that we've been working on uh, uh, that uh, where classical and jazz collide. And this is, you know, Kevin came out, came up as a classical pianist. And so we'll talk to Kevin a little bit about classical music and then how jazz and classical, uh, we'll just leave it at that, how they collide.